morning. As Carl said, my name's Megan. For those of you that don't know me, welcome. I'm reading two um, for chapters today for the Bible reading. The first one's Deuteronomy 32, 1 to 20, and then it'll be chapter 34, 5 to 12. So please follow along in your Bibles, um, on your devices, or it's up behind me. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting at verse 1. Pay attention, heavens, and I will speak. Listen, earth, to the words from my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my word settle like dew, like gentle rain on new grass and showers on tender plants. For I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. His people have acted corruptly toward him and this is their defect. They are not his children, but a devious and crooked generation. Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father and creator? Didn't he make you and sustain you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of past generations. Ask your father and he will tell you your elders and they will teach you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the people of Israel. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his own inheritance. He found him in a desolate land, in a barren, howling wilderness. He surrounded him, cared for him, and protected him as the pupil of his eye. He watches over his nest like an eagle, and hovers over his young. He spreads his wings, catches him, and carries him on his feathers. The Lord alone led him, with no help from a foreign god. He made him ride on the heights of the land and eat the produce of the field. He nourished him with honey from the rock and oil from flinity rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with the fat of lambs, rams from Bashan, and goats, with the choicest grains of wheat, you drank wine from the finest grapes. Then Jeshurun became fat and rebelled. You became fat, bloated and gorged. He abandoned the God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. They provoked his jealousy with different gods. They enraged him with detestable practices. They sacrificed to demons, not God, to gods they had not known, new gods that had just arrived, which your fathers did not fear. You ignored the rock who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. When the Lord saw this, he despised them, angered by his sons and daughters. He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what will become of them, for they are a perverse generation, unfaithful children. The next one is Deuteronomy 34, starting at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. 
So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. best represents your life. Now, when I'm thinking of anthems, I'm thinking of songs which sing of values that we cherish as people groups. England sings God Save the King. The US Star Spangled Banner sings, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. Australians sing, for those who've come across the seas We've boundless planes to share. These were made to express the values that the country was founded on. But unfortunately, I wonder how much people mean what they sing. But popular songs have become self-titled anthems. We are the champions. Fight the power. Don't stop believing. Songs which offer strengthening and encouraging words that groups of like-minded listeners can get behind. Now, at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses writes an anthem charged by God. But you won't find any encouragements or praises. You won't find a pleasant history of community and support. Although you wouldn't find that in the French anthem either. And you probably don't look at this, uh, and if you don't look properly at this, sorry, you could even be led to think that there is no hope in this anthem at all. But I want to show you that there is hope here. To recap, after the Israelites had been rescued by God from Egypt and promised a land of their own, Their disobedience in the wilderness leads them to spend a very long time in the desert. But now, standing at the precipice of claiming this promised land, Moses sits them down for a sermon-like address. He encourages them to listen to God, to trust in Him, obey Him, to choose Him as their God so that they can live in a right relationship with one another as clean and unclean creatures, and with their holy God. These are the teachings that Mike, Carl, Isaac, and Cole gave to us. But now, Moses' sermon has ended, and it is time for him to leave his final legacy for the people of Israel before he passes away and before they inherit the land. In the previous chapter, we read that God commands Moses to write down as a song for them that will testify against them because he knows what they are prone to do. 
It is this song which serves as our final send-off, where Moses will no longer be able to guide or speak God's words to them, and so this anthem will serve as that for them. This anthem represents the declaration of Israel's future, and it's bleak, filled with unfaithfulness and idolatry. Why are these the words that God commands Moses to be his last for his people? Is this song of our lack of devotion the anthem of humanity as a whole? Or can we sing a new song? Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jared, if you haven't met me before, and I'm a student minister here. And it's my privilege to take us through our final time exploring through Deuteronomy in this series. And it can be tricky to look back on how we've grown throughout this series to see how God has spoken to us through Israel. So why don't I pray for us that the Spirit will help all of us to understand God's word faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see you as you are in this passage. Help us to see you as the same God devoted to Israel, and devoted to us. May our refreshed vision of your unchanging nature transform us more into your Son. Amen. Well, we're going to work through this in three parts. Firstly, in chapter 32, verses 1 to 14, show us the devoted God. And then verse 15 to 20, show us an undevoted people. And lastly, the rest of chapter 32 and 34 show us the devoted God and his response towards the undevoted people. But let's get stuck into this with our first part, the devoted God. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 32, For I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God. Now this serves as a reminder of who God is to these people. And we get seven descriptions in the next verse as a sign of completion of who God is. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God, without bias. He is righteous and true. Getting a sense of God's perfection here is crucial. You aren't meant to hear a description of God being the rock And think of a stone that you see on the side of the road. You ought to think about the grandness of Uluru. It's permanent formation on the face of this earth. Not created by human hands. And then to view God as even greater than that. Who formed the whole earth by his breath. But not only is God great, but he is also devoted. Verse verse 5 to 14 of this song speaks of Israel's history. That even while Israel was foolish and wicked, God continued to sustain them. Even when his people were corrupt towards him, he nourishes them. And we know of this Because we've seen God deliver Israel from the Egyptians in Exodus. We're reminded of this salvation throughout Deuteronomy. 
And even as Moses, the one who God speaks to his people through, is dying, we read at the end of chapter 31 that he will continue to be with his people through Joshua. Has there ever been anyone as devoted as God? In this world, services can decide to cut off people who are too needy. Schools can give up on children who require more investment to teach. Even parents who stick with the best and worst of their children can grow weary of it. And unfortunately, some even give up. From verse 11, he watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young. He spreads his wings, catches them, and carries him on his feathers. The Lord alone led him with no help from a foreign god. This is the God to follow. The one who is totally devoted, who holds complete power and complete compassion at the same time. One of my favorite questions to ask someone who doesn't believe is for them to tell me about the God that they don't believe in. Because they'll often say things like, I don't believe in a God who allows evil. Or, I don't believe in a God who hates people like me. Whatever they say, I have yet to hear a response that I can't agree with. Because the God I believe in is truly good. So when you hear God being described in this way as a rock, as just, as protective and compassionate, is this not a God that you want to believe in, to follow? We need someone that we can depend on totally, who can hold up the weight of our life and not be broken by it. The thing is, Israel has this God. He is totally devoted to them. So what's the problem? Well, this song takes a look at Israel's nature and in turn, humanity as a whole. The thing God knows that they are prone to do. They are an undevoted people. And if we're honest... We aren't too different. From verse 15, then Jeshurun, which is an endearing term for Israel, became fat and rebelled. You became fat, bloated, and gorged. He abandoned the God who made him and scorned the rock of, the, of his salvation. These words are commonly used in the Hebrew language to describe livestock which gives you an image of what, is getting, what we're getting at here. The cattle are so fat on their prosperity of the land that they are no longer fit to do anything, let alone even stand. Even more than that, the next verse tells us they have turned to other gods for worship instead. 
Verse 16 and 17 show us seven descriptions of this idolatry, creating a comparison to the seven perfect descriptions of God earlier. They are different gods, detestable practices, demons, not God, unknown gods rather than the God who has made himself known, new gods instead of the eternal one, Gods which their ancestors did not fear, instead of the God who should be feared. Jeremiah 2 describes idolatry like this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Imagine that. Forsaking a spring of living water for a broken source that can't even hold the water properly. It sounds ridiculous to trade in something so great for something that seems so worthless. It's like standing at Uluru and turning away to admire the small rock you found on the side of the road. But that is a reality, is it not? There are things in our lives which are broken, which cannot hold us up, which demand our attention, which we devote ourselves to, which are not God. To be honest, these things are often the things which fill us with the most anxiety when we find ourselves with anything less than complete control. Growing up as a kid, we owned these 11 chickens and this one, Tyler, uh, one rooster named Tyler. You can even hear in my voice how much I hated that bird. <laughs> For a while, owning them was great. But then... Tyler started to become confident. He started circling around us whenever we approached the coop. Eventually, he became one of those birds that attacked us the closer we got, even to the point of escaping the pen if we had even entered the general vicinity of his, of his chickens and his eggs. We could coexist with Tyler the rooster in our property, but if he had even held a thought that we could threaten what he held dear to him, it would be over for us. You see, we're all a little bit like Tyler. <laughs> Especially when it comes to idolatry. Happy to live a life that involves God in our relationships, in our money, in our work. But if God was to get anywhere near what we hold dear, we would go crazy. If there is something you are afraid of handing to God because you know the place of its value is above God in your life, you have your idol. So what's your example? What are you protective over? 
What do you fear losing? Is your love for God only strong when you are financially secure? When your relationship with others are healthy? Is your love for God only strong when you're respected by others? In the song for Israel, there is no doubt that they will turn to their idols. Because all of these things are good, but it's easiest to worship these things when life is going well. And for all of us, sooner or later, we will have to make a choice between God and our idol. A choice of whether our love for God is greater than this thing that we value most. What this anthem does for Israel is what we are to do when we are confronted by our idolatry. To see God for who he truly is and to see how he, as a devoted God, responds to us as an undevoted people. But how does a devoted God respond to his undevoted people? Does he give up? Does he grow weary? Does his devotion to them ever show signs of wavering? God's response as the devoted God is twofold. And it comes from a rather lengthy second half of this song, which is why it wasn't read out earlier. But if you have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you could follow along with me from verse 21, which says this. They have provoked my jealousy with what is not a God. They have enraged me with their worthless idols. So I will provoke their jealousy with what is not a people. I will enrage them with a foolish nation. God wants Israel to know the consequences of choosing their idols above God. And this is guaranteed this song is a confident promise that Israel will make the wrong choice. And nowhere do we get a sense that they will ever make the right one. As we go through life, we can't help but find ourselves learning things in the hard way. And it's often through some form of physical or emotional pain. From touching a stovetop as a kid and realizing you shouldn't touch things that are red hot to waking up with a hangover to teach you your limits, to the end of friendships that you cherished but realized they were toxic. The idols which are our reasons for being undevoted to the devoted God will fail us. They will be the source of our pain, our anxiety, our tears, if they haven't already been. But God promises to come and judge again. But this is good news. Verse 36 says, The Lord will indeed vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, Where are their gods? The rock they found refuge in who ate the fat of their sacrifices 
and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you. Let it be a shelter for you. To vindicate is more than to judge. It's to champion the cause of someone in need. God sees Israel with their useless idols, their powerlessness, their inability to save themselves, and he has compassion on them. Because that is his point. Israel cannot save themselves. Only he, the rock of salvation, can save them. God declares in verse 39, See now that I alone am he. There is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. This section of the song declares what a devoted God does. And it does so in a triumphant voice. I alone am he. There is no one but God. No one who even comes close to him. He has wounded Israel, but he heals them. He saves them. This song was written as a witness to testify against the Israelites, to tell them of their sin and idolatry, to show them God's devotion to save them. And as Christians today, we have a better witness. On the cross, our sin is made known in a greater way than this song. But so too is the grace that God shows towards us. Just like the Israelites, we cannot save ourselves. But Jesus displayed the perfect life for us. He showed us a life devoted to the Father when both Israel and we could not. And through him, the God of life and death died for us so that we can have life. He bore his wounds for us so that we can be healed. 1 Peter 2 tells us, he, bore our, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. The grace of God displayed in the Old Testament is fully realized in Christ. And through Christ, we are called away from our idols and to live lives devoted to him. We are better when we are with Christ. To prize him above all others and to bring him into every part of our lives. God is totally devoted to you. And he expressed his devotion most clearly in his son. 
So look to Jesus, look to that same son and live lives in total devotion to him. So how might we strive to sing this new, better song? I think there are two things. And the first one depends on your experience of what church has been. You see, in this song that Moses writes for Israel and in the cross, we have this beautiful and stark image of the depths of our sin and the grace of God. But it's easy for us to cause an imbalance on which of these we emphasize. For some of us, we might struggle to face our sin, to say things like confession, wanting to focus more on God's love and generosity than his judgment and our brokenness. Because to face, to face those things would be too depressing. But what this song shows us is that the more we understand the depths of how far we were gone, how impossible it was for us to be saved by ourselves, the greater you'll be able to see God's grace for what it is. Just how much he gave of himself to free us at no cost to ourselves. But also, people can sometimes get into a state where they focus so much on acknowledging their sin and brokenness that they forget to live in the light that they were saved into. So get into the habit of confessing and giving thanks. As you confess, be reminded that you are confessing to a God who knows your sin and has already forgiven you. And as you give thanks, be reminded of all the blessings you receive that they did not come from you, from your own hand, but are good gifts from God. The second thing is that this song is as much a testament to God's devotion as our lack of it, as it is a warning of our heart's tendency to wander away from God. Verse 46 in chapter 32 has Moses say, take to heart all these words I am giving you as a warning to you today so that you may command your children to follow all the words of this law carefully. Idols are not something that was exclusive to the Israelites. We turn many good things into God things. So it's important for us to heed this truth of the nature of our hearts. As we identify our idols, be it money, relationships, work, sex, video games, TV, it's important we hold our idol up against God to compare the uselessness of our idol with the glory of God. To ask yourself things like, is this relationship capable of providing me more love than the God who is love and who loved me by sending his only son to die for me? Or, if you're anything like me, you might ask, could this coping mechanism help me through this difficult time more than the spirit 
who raised Jesus from the dead and by whose work I am being made new. We need to be regularly searching our hearts for anything which has taken a higher priority in our lives than the very God who brought us life. We need to see God for who he truly is, the gracious rock, our savior. And we need to see our idols for what they truly are, pale imitations which cannot help us. What do you currently value above your relationship with God? What do you need to do this week to devote yourself to the God who is totally devoted to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Revelation 15 sings, Great and marvelous are your deeds, just and true are your ways. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. You are more kind to us than we can ever comprehend. Remind us of the devotion you have shown to us. Help us to focus on your Son and reveal to us whatever we prize above you. May we use this week to hand these over to you so that we might be devoted to you in turn. Please help us now to sing this new song in our hearts as we join together and worship you now. In your precious name, amen.